Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. Today I'm joined by a couple of key folks from Mecham Auction, David Morton and Matt Avery, who are in town uh, doing a little prelim work uh, ahead of an auction that will be coming into town in October. So um, appreciate you spending some time to join us, and love to hear more about what you're in town for. Well, good afternoon. We uh, came to Charlotte this morning. We have, uh, yes, we do have an auction coming up in October, but immediate of interest is a, a collection going to Indianapolis. Our auction may. 13 to 21, the Spring Classic, or better known as the Dana Meekham's original Spring Classic. It's the actual original auction that started 1988 that's moved to Indianapolis almost 20 years now. Ray Everham has a collection of race cars going to that auction. So we're going to be doing an event for the media tomorrow at his shop to let people see the cars before they cross the block next later this month. Well, obviously, this is probably a good way to segue into the fact that Obviously, when the enthusiasts turn on the TV and they want to see the auction itself and they see the bidding going on, uh, that's really a, a, just a tip of the iceberg of the entire process. I mean, there's so much more that goes on. I had a chance to see a little bit of that when you had the bullet car uh, to realize just how much work was put into it, like you said. So I was hoping if you guys don't mind, just talk a little bit about when you're preparing a car collection like Ray Abraham's or someone else's. There's so much more work done in advance to prep to get the information out because you want to make sure people who should know about this sale or this opportunity at the auction, that they are aware of it. Sure. And you're doing this for the benefit of the owner. Of course, you're going to do the benefit for the auction, too, because you want to get more people to bid. But I'm hoping you don't mind just kind of talk, share some examples or such a little bit what goes through that process. Well, I think one of the things that people don't realize is how big Meekham is. Let me give a little bit of background. So Meekham started in 1988. And we're out 170 employees. We do, we'll do 15 auctions this year, total of 19, including motorcycle, road art, and, and tractor auctions. So the car auctions are 14 or 15 a year that we're doing. And the auction that will be coming in Charlotte in October is our first year auction. But other auctions we've been to, for example, like in Kansas City, we've been there for 30 years. So we'll take over a facility, bring in our trucks of equipment, which is about a dozen 53-foot haulers of all the gear. But before we get to an auction, we're working months ahead of on those auction venues. So you reference Bullet. We started campaigning the Bullet consignment in July. We announced it in Monterey in August. It didn't cross the block until January in Kissimmee. But that five-month sprint was something going constantly. And because it was Bullet, it was exceptional. But even for a collection like Ray Everham or other collections we're doing, the team of 30-some people in the marketing department, which Matt and I are both part of, we're working, figuring out leverage points. You're talking about whether it's the Mustang Club of America or whatever organization we can leverage to try to get the word out to a broader audience. Yeah, I mean, like David mentioned, not only is the team robust in terms of logistically doing all those auctions, transporting the gear, getting it all set up so that the actual experience is ready to go on the day one, but it's kind of what Dave alluded to, which is, Meekham's marketing and presentation team, we have, we're working in conjunction with that, but also from a different angle, which is to actually spotlight the vehicles that are going to be crossing the block, get the word out, and to present their story to the car community, like Bullet was one, where a lot of people know that car, but yet we were able to kind of package even additional story elements of it or to get it out in front of people who had never seen it in person 
and it was a great opportunity to even get more buzz for that car long before it showed up, you know, at a Mecham auction. I would assume some of the owners of these collections are probably more than they're very interested in being part of that marketing campaign. Absolutely. And then I think you probably have some others that just say, "You sell the cars for me. Come get them." But you know, they they stand they stand back a little bit more. And they do that because of privacy. Sure. And they don't want the limelight, which is understandable. But then in Meekum world, the cars are the stars. So while there's a personality to that story behind the backstory of that individual, we have a gentleman that has a, a 66 uh, GT350 um, that's coming to Indianapolis. He bought the car originally. He's the only owner. That's a great story. He may or may not, he's 80 years old. He may or may not want to talk about that life experience or why he's still selling it now or what kept him to hold that story and hold that car that long. But the fact is, it's still a story. So there's always a good story behind a car. As you're saying, Steve, not everyone wants to share that story. Well, that's the key, I think, is that uh, you want him to share that story because it just brings the, I know we're saying the word story and story and story. That's also what helps sell the car. Absolutely, and yeah. you have the that provenance uh, of that exactly. Yes. And, and some people are like you said, they're private. Um, they don't think of it that way. It's you know, especially if a gentleman's had it since '66, he's probably older. He just does you know, he wants to sell it, but you, he does. He's probably thinking, you don't need me to sell the car. The right. car will sell the car, Absolutely. and it does. But still, and I think probably a good case in point. We'll go back to Bullet. I mean, Sean was busy those five months going around, but he I think he enjoyed the fact that he was the face of the car. Yes. And he was also going to be able to share that with Meekum. I know a little bit of your schedule, and you guys were he, you guys seriously had him on the road. I mean, he, he was he was a rock star in the way of, you know, oh, this night we're in Dayton, Ohio. Next week we're going to be in Columbus or whatever. It was, what I mean, you just use that as an example. But you were at the right places. You showed the car at the right places. Uh, you did a lot with that in that regard. So that does create a lot more of a value or of an interest to sell. And that behooves both the owner and the seller. Definitely. I mean, type of thing. I use the word I've put gas on fires. I mean, I'm, I'm the advanced marketing guy doing things out there in the community to try to find places to leverage. And that's my primary role. And when you have a fire like Bullet or you have a fire like Ray Abraham's collection of race cars, that one of those cars is driven by Mario Andretti and two Indy 500, the story is there. It's just a matter of getting the story out by putting that gas in the fire. Well, I think that's the important part because obviously that gives it the history, the provenance to, right. to understand, oh, that's just not another race car. Oh, that's just another 1968 green fastback. It's something more special than that. And that's what really will make the sale and the interest. And even if it's just people want to watch the actual auction itself, um, I, I did watch a little bit of um, Sean's car being sold. And I, I almost got to tell you, you had a mob scene on this on the stadium. <laughs> We yeah. ramp because uh, everybody wanted to be a piece of it and part of it because it meant that much and uh, the car still means a lot to the hobby and uh, hopefully you know we'll, we'll uh, the legend only grows sure. as they say even right. though the car is not is not with Sean or out in the public as such it only grows now where is it but it's interesting to see how much work you guys do in advance because uh, we were fortunate we had it here for for a, well I would say a, a cup of coffee as they say a short mm -hmm. time but in that short time we still have people come to the museum and say wow we got to see bullet we you know we got to see bullet and it, it's a it's a car whose story is is kind of has reverence to it I mean that was Steve McQueen I mean right. you, you know it's almost like if I touch the car it's got, I got some Steve McQueen vibe to it I was curious uh and, I'm, and I keep going back to bullet I'm sorry I'm sorry Sean. 
but I was actually also told by some people who are very much into the movie collecting memorabilia that Steve McQueen is one of the most sought after movie memorabilia. Yes. And I was curious, did you find, or did, were there people contacting Meekum Auction for the bullet that were really not so much interested in the fact that it was a Mustang? It was, of course, it was Steve McQueen's bullet, but they were interested because it was Steve McQueen's car. We heard repeatedly that the car sitting as it was, $150,000, $200,000, because it was an unrestored old car. Right. And then you add Steve McQueen's. And the same thing happened. We did a... Uh, Porsche 911 Turbo with Steve McQueen in Monterey several years ago. Okay. That's and cool. and the word was, this car is it sitting here is this, and it sold for, I don't know, I think it was $1.7 million or something crazy number. So, yes, as you're saying, the provenance, when you associate Steve McQueen, we have a a, a truck, is, is it a C10? I believe so. I think it's a C10 coming to Indianapolis. That was the, the original owner, and the title was in Steve McQueen's name. So, mm-hmm. so again, what you're saying, Steve, is you're right. You put a truck on the block, and it's this truck. You had Steve McQueen's name on it, and then exponentially increases value because it is Steve McQueen. And, and you said there's really no one else. I'm, I'm looking at a poster of Carol Shelby. There are icons in this industry, mm-hmm. very few that can touch the provenance value of a Steve McQueen. Yeah, well, I just was going to add, I think what you were asking is that I think Bullet was a good example of you had multiple factors that were driving interest. I don't know how many people bought it purely because it was a Mustang, like David alluded to. I think you had certain interests there, but then you also have the pop culture tie-in. You have the Steve McQueen tie-in. I mean, it's it was really a perfect storm of interest that culminated in a lot of people wanting that car. Could it have been something else? Absolutely. But the fact that it was one, you know, one of the best-selling cars of all time, it's a sporty, it looked great. It was driven by an ultra-cool character. And in a film that's been seen by most of the people around the world, I think that all added to the value of the car. Well, I think, like you said, it was a perfect storm. Here you had a, a desirable car. In fact, the the back end of a 67, 68 has actually been voted on some a couple of years ago. Ford did a survey. What was the most popular back end of a Mustang of all of them? And 67, 68 was voted the most popular. Interesting. We did a, we did a year ago a survey with our members. And we would we did we we did a we we had, it was almost like a um, a basketball tournament where you had seedings of all these Mustangs and this car would go against this car you'd vote on whoever and then the win moved on the car that won was a '68 Mustang it beat a 2015 Mustang I mean it's just it just has that connection to it so mm-hmm. it's such uh, I'd be kind of curious when you're talking about the C10 what it actually does go for because of course there's no C10 car club. There's no movie that the car was in, so it doesn't have some of that provenance, but it's still going to still going to do well, absolutely, because it's yes. got Steve McQueen that's in. All, and, that's, and, and that's my point. It. That's yes. my and that's right. the point that's where I'm going. With. Job. But there are very few people, like you said, that can actually command that kind of a interest level, mm-hmm. and obviously a Mario Andretti would. Right. Uh, anybody that's got that kind of being you know, an Al Unser, uh, Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, Elvis Presley. Yeah, all of those exactly. So it's it's interesting. So it's it, but how do you find some of these cars? How do you do they come to? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming I, I I will share this. I've had a thought worth oh, the museum. Sometimes people are coming to us with a car, right? Or sometimes I have to kind of you know nudge a little bit. You have to know when to nudge and how to nudge. You got to know how to read the owner a little bit and how to kind of placate to their interest. Versus just say, hey, do you want to sell your car? You think about it. We have 20,000 lots a year. Yeah. That's a lot of cars. Yeah. 
And <laughs> and there's a reputation, I think, of Meekum Auctions that starts with Dana, and it's now been handed off to Frank. And now there's 15 or whatever consignment agents that are following the footsteps of Dana and Frank, that it's very delicate because not everyone wants to sell. If you're dealing with a state, it even becomes more sensitive because this, the, the widow or whoever, the family, have to deal with these kind of big decisions that weren't settled prior to the, the death of that individual. And then you have a, a market on fire right now. And it's been on fire for years. And that bubble still hasn't popped. And it's still not going to pop. And it's going to continue to roll. And so the, the value of what Meekum offers is that is the continuity, stability, the presence, the accessibility of all those things because Meekum has auctions in a lot of different places so people can get to those places and then realize that schedule is consistent year to date. Every year we're pretty much going to those same places so that someone can look and go, you know, we're not going back to Portland anymore, but maybe in the next place is fill in the blank Las Vegas or whatever the market might be. So we don't cold call. Our consignment agents do not cold call. They chase collections, yes, but it's not a matter of, Steve, you have a car, we're interested in consigning it for you to sell. No, we want Steve to come to us and say, I want Meekum to sell that car for me. No, well, that would make sense. That way you kind of know you already have a person you're talking to that has an interest. And, and qualified us as the person they want to yes, sell Yes, you're kind of you're two or three steps ahead of the, ahead of the process a little bit by Correct. doing it that way. So that way you can kind of feel more comfortable knowing that you're going to be able to talk and share. You know, when they do come to you, you are, like I said, you already kind of, you already, some of the stuff, some of the, they say, oh, my dad used to say, some of that fuel has already been plowed. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go out there and kind of say, hey, I'm such and such. We did such and such. They, and of course your TV shows have, I mean, the TV auctions have got to be your biggest viewing audience to, to get the out to Biggest marketing muscle Mark, we have. Exactly. So. What determines how many cars you're going to put on at a particular location? Because you're, the numbers really vary. I mean, you were talking about Indianapolis with 3,000 cars. In nine days. No. In nine days. I mean, that's, that's you know, is it 24-hour TV? <laughs> no. It, it, well, in this case, Motor Trend will re-air those programs. So Motor Trend is our new TV partner that started in January with Kissimmee. And we had 3,500 cars in Kissimmee. That first auction 17 years ago in Kissimmee was 400 cars. So the growth of the market or the event creates the demand. So more higher priced cars create more cars to be sold the following year. So you're you're speculating in a way to say that okay, the first year auction in Charlotte's going to be you know three days and a thousand cars. It, it's sort of a speculative kind of thing. It's a goal by all means, and so the energy behind the consignment department is going to push toward that. But it it the cars are out there. There's 26 million cars insured in the U.S. as collector cars. 26 million. Wow. And less than 1% change hands every year. So whereas that aging population may look at the market and saying it's hot, I want to get out now, cash out, if you will, or I want to take advantage of the sale prices, there's also people sitting on the sidelines saying, look at the quality of the merchandise, look at the quality, the provenance of these cars that have been sitting in, in warehouses and museums for decades. Now they're becoming available. I'm going to get in. You know, that makes it does make sense because I know that we uh we have a lot of our cars that we have here in the museum. The owners are, are they're a little older. Sure. I mean, they're they're in they're in their eighties. And um, you know, they have been whispered a few things to me from time to time that, well, you know, maybe it's time for me to share the car. Maybe it needs to find another owner so that it'll get out there. You know, I've had the car for X amount of time. Maybe it's time to let someone else share with it. Because they care for the car, sure, and they realize that otherwise it's just, it's just kind of sitting in a garage, you know, blanket over it or cover over the car, and then it just sits there. And it's you know, it's a car that someone else could probably really enjoy. 
maybe want to spruce it up a bit and take it to car shows, go out and enjoy type of a thing. So uh, I kind of found that that was kind of interesting because we, we find that going on here. And like you said, right now, it's a good time to sell. It's on fire. I mean, you, you talk about the caretaker role. And I think that's a cherished position by a car owner mm-hmm. to recognize the fact that they are, for now, the owner of the car. But in many cases, they want the original owner. And that person before them or persons before them have taken care of that car and they're that role now and they now are giving that opportunity to somebody else and they want that person to care as much as they have about their car. Yeah, I know some of the some of the cars that we have that people are excited to see that we have here that are rare. Uh the owners are getting up in age a little bit and they've you know, they've been starting to praise the car, starting to kind of, you know, they're they're not in a hurry per se. But you obviously you know, in the back of their mind they're starting to think about, well, what do I do with it? You know, how, how do how do I know it's going to go the right place? It's going to go the right way. Uh, how am I, and bottom line is usually it's always, you know, how am I going to maximize my return for it? Right. Well, and also making sure that you are bringing it to market with the right partner. It's not always about the mm-hmm. dollar amount, but it's also making sure that you partner with someone like Meekum Auctions that's going to do the best that we can to properly showcase what that car is all about. You know, the other thing too about the boom in the industry, like David has mentioned, the other thing too that we're seeing is that you're starting to see new eras of collector cars being accepted as desirable. So, you know, circling back to the Mustangs, we're starting to see a a big rise in Fox body in particular as that demographic of people that remember those cars as younger people get up to the stage in life where they have that disposable income to purchase their dream car. So I think all of that is indicating that there is a rise in collecting cars and it's going to continue like you guys have been saying. I mean, so. Well, actually, you kind of led me, you really went right where I was going to go next. Let's talk about Mustangs. Really? Mustangs? Yeah. Yeah. What a great idea. Wow. (laughs) Have you sold any lately? (laughs) A lot. A lot, yeah. Um, We have more than 100 Mustangs consigned to the Indianapolis auction. You mentioned about Fox bodies becoming more and more prevalent. Right. Um, I will tell you in the hobby, what's kind of interesting on the hobby side is that the Mustang 2 is starting to get more and more attention. Um, and I've asked a couple of the guys who I've known who, are, who have bought Mustang 2s for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was always the, it always kind of used to be the term, that was the disposable Mustang. You kind of you know toss that thing away and then count kind of a thing, which, which now I'm starting to find that some of these guys are going back and they're restoring it, but they're restoring it because of the challenge, and the challenge is they can't call up MPD, they can't call Harris Mustang, they can't call CJ Pony Parts and say, okay, I need a hood for a 1975 Mustang too. They don't carry them. There aren't companies out there making mass-produced pieces for that. But what interests these, these guys who are buying them, they have to go back the old school way. And that is junkyards, networking with other Mustang tube guys, because Mustang tube guys have kind of figured out, if I find a Mustang tube part, I better get it. I might not need it, but I might know someone who needs it. So they've kind of created their own little community. So I'm kind of curious, Fox Body, uh, I guess what I want to say is that Mustang tubes are starting to kind of certainly create a more of an interest as far as the enthusiasts and the restoration side. But with Fox bodies coming up, have you had have has Mustang twos come across the block the block at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like with any subset, there is an interest of rise, like you said, because I think a lot of it is as collectors. In addition to the challenge, they also want something different, something that hasn't been done before, something that's unique, something that stands out. So yeah, I mean, we're seeing a rise with that, not quite to the levels that we are. I think with Fox buys, just because of 
the probably the the more relevancy that the Fox body has to a lot of the mm-hmm. younger collectors, a little bit more of attainable of a collector mm-hmm. car. But yeah, I mean, the Mustang too is certainly on the rise just because, like you said, they're quirky, they're fun, and they're also just something really different from the Mustangs that are out there currently. At the- well, it is a different segment, so to speak, because how people have got these cars now, you know, how, I mean, there are some guys who have had Mustang 2s all their life. That's the only car they've ever had for themselves, and they got parts and they know how to restore. But it's interesting to see how the hobby itself is expanding into Mustang 2s. Fox bodies have been huge. Fox body shows lately have been exploded. Um, there's a couple that are, in fact, one, two weeks from now, uh, they'll have over 400 Fox bodies over by Hershey, Pennsylvania at, uh, Chocolate Fox, uh, shameless plug. Anyway, so it's interesting. Obviously, Shelby's are very big on the block. That's, Cute. that's, that's, right. that's the, uh, the holy grail of Mustangs. It is a Shelby, I, I want to assume. Do you find, though, that you have other brands out there? You have the GTs, you have the... EcoBoosts, you have uh, Celine's, you have Roush's. I guess they all do well, but you find other outside of Shelby, what other segments do really well as far as a Mustang? When it comes to Mustangs? When it comes to Mustangs, yes. Uh, well, I mean, I, the primary thing, like with any area of the collecting world, it's condition, obviously. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't sure. matter whose name is on the back of it. It comes down to condition. You know, there's no replacement for ultra-low miles, you know, one owner, two owners. That's always going to be the primary focus for collectors. From there, like you said, it kind of spools, spins off into these subsets of niches in terms of what people like. Is it the modified Celine, the Roush? Sometimes it's even just the cosmetic stuff. And again, going back to like Mustang, like even the um, the 7-Eleven, or the uh, seven, seven up, seven, seven up, up. <laughs> even that kind of stuff where there's really no performance modifications, but you have that connection with the pop culture marketing push, uh, you know, anything related to indie, of course, any kind of Mustang that's been connected to there. Um, so even some of the cosmetic driven packages are of interest. It's interesting too. you mentioned the Mustang twos. That's also fascinating to see that interest because, you know, that generation of Mustang really wasn't marked by any sort of high performance all out efforts there were some but i mean just be so it's interesting but yet those are still desirable not because they're you know track terrors but just because they're so unique they're quirky so so to answer your question i think it's one of those things of there's always going to be some interest in something if it's desirable when it has a mustang badge on it chances are you will find someone that wants to have that in their garage i was curious to, i was just curious because i said a lot of people kind of look down on mustang twos and I didn't know if they're, while we see the popularity growing, I didn't know if we we're find, if you were finding them coming to the auction for sale yet. That's actually kind of made it across the block, as they say. Yeah, we are. Everything. So, well, then, so obviously it sounds like all, all six generations do very well with it. And I'm sorry, you guys do well with all six generations. But after Shelby, would the first generation Mustangs be the most sought after? Yeah, that classic. Because the old classics? Yeah, sure. that classic mm-hmm. era. That would be one that obviously most collectors are aware of or most just automotive enthusiasts are aware of is that, you know, those 60s, that 60s style of Mustang, all, people always want to have that. But from there, I mean, I wouldn't say that interest drops off radically as you move to more contemporary versions. And it's interesting, too, because I feel like even when you move into the last couple of years of production for Mustang, you see a huge interest with you know, stuff stuff coming out from Shelby, stuff coming out from Ford, stuff that's high performance, stuff that's interesting, stuff that collectors want to own. What you also see, and we've seen this recently, if if I say GT three fifty R, there was one, then I think we had one, then it blew up 
and then others came after it. So when something comes to the block and it, it gets a nice solid number, you'd be amazed how many other people go, up. Oh, now my turn, I'm in. Yeah. And there's and there's people sitting on the sideline. We just sold uh, t- number two, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, wherever we were, it's Houston or Glendale or wherever it was, we right. just sold that car. It's not bringing Shelby money, Carol Shelby line money, but you put, again, you just said, you put Carol Shelby's name on anything, it blows up. In the Mustang world, I hate to say this, you almost wonder if you put Steve McQueen versus Carol Shelby. Outside of, I mean, it's hard to do because you got one car versus a lifetime of cars. Sure. It's hard. It's impossible. But I would have to say, though, that Carol Shelby is probably considered the the icon. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. he no is question. certainly... It was it's, it was interesting. I, uh, this is a little quick story. This was 2010, I think. It was at the uh, at a car. It was actually one of the Shelby shows in the Midwest, and they had a little thing. We, I we used to be a licensee with Shelby to do merchandise. Long story short, they had a little meeting. And they had Carol Shelby there, and we could ask Carol any questions we wanted. I always find it's interesting just to listen, that uh, type of thing. So, guy asks, he says, "What do you think about the Mustangs now going up to six? I mean, Shelby's up to 600 horsepower." He says, I'm just glad people who have the ego to want a 600 horsepower have the wallet for it. Good point. And he said, that's, uh, that's fine. He says, he says, but for me, 289 is really, is really, you know, that was seemed to be where, because of course the Cobra, that was a 289 is where it started. But I, I like the idea of, and I'm not saying this is what he was saying, but my take was if you have a 289, it's equal for everybody. Every you know all, now now it's the driver that'll make the difference. Mm-hmm. Now you see who the drivers really are versus the guy who can afford the bigger bigger engine, faster car, but may not have the talent to drive it as a guy with the two eighty nine. So it's interesting how that kind of comes about. But you know, Carol 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 was it was amazing. It's more we spent time kind of looking in and learning about what he's done. He did the right things. He had the right places. I mean, the right moves with his cars because like you said, we have that one Cobra here. And as you kind of learn from how that was marketed, uh, we've had some folks that worked at Shelby come and talk to us about. It. And he he was he was almost he was almost as good as a marketing genius as he was kind of as a car de, car developer. So what's the TV commercial? My my name is Carol Shelby, and my business is performance. Yeah. Our business is my performance yeah. is my business. Yeah, hard, hard to argue with that as a tagline. That's a great, and, and he's just standing there going, "Okay, I'm here." It's drop the mic. Yeah, done. <laughs> right. It is drop the mic. So well, great. Yeah. Well, I really want. I, I'm looking forward to you guys having your show here in October. Thank you. Um, we are too. And I and hopefully with anything we can do to help you guys with that, just you know, you're always welcome to let me know. Thank you. I appreciate you guys working with us and helping us with Bullet. I don't forget those things. A long memory. Steve yeah. saying, David, do you think is there any chance? And we, and I at the time, Matt, I'm thinking, uh, I, I'm not sure. I I really don't think this is going to happen. I really know how we're going to make this work. But then we found a show at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and I called Steve up and I said, I, I think we can make this happen. And, you, and, and rightfully so, you were not a pest. You were not, you know, you wanted what you wanted, and rightfully yeah. so, but you put a package together that made it so that it was an event that helped us further accentuate the marketability well, of, I, of I, the book. Well, and, and, and you I did a great job. I appreciate that, cause, but I do look at, not that I know what you guys have to do, but I understand the marketing and the activity concepts. So you kind of think of, you know, it's like, I look at it this way. How many people call Ford every day with a great idea? So Ford, if you if you finance it, I'll run it. It doesn't work that way. You got to really kind of slip in and make sure that you're doing something that makes fit makes sense. Um, I will tell you, and I don't know if Sean had ever mentioned this to you, but I had to I had reached out to Sean 
well before the idea of the car was going to be for sale. And uh, he had, because there was a line in the article from Brad Bowling that his dad said that the car should be in a museum, a Mustang museum. And so I kind of, you know, uh, Sean, hey, there's now a Mustang museum. And so he came by at Ford Nationals in Carlisle towards the end, the end of one of, the, one of those days there. And he said, I don't know when and I don't know how. Yet, and this was before he was going to sell it. This is before he, pre pre Meekum auction, but you are going to get the car. It may be for a day, it may be a little longer. He said, kind of a kind of a referencing. He right. said, "I just I, but I really want to do something." It's good. And so I always kind of thought, "Well, Sean, you owe me now. Come on, yeah. come on." No, and he did. He he he. And be honest with you, he could have said after Saturday afternoon, you know what, guys, I've just been a I spent out a weekend out here. I've had all these people come by. I'm done. I'm fried. He had his wife with them yep. too, and I don't think she always went to to all the events. But I imagine it was nice for him to have her be along with her. But uh, when he said, "Yeah, we're going to bring it over," and you guys made it happen, I got to tell you what, we were ecstatic. But again, I know you guys have enough going on the plate. I just thought I've made my case. If my case works, great. If not, well. Well, here we are sitting yeah. a couple years later, still friends. So that's and a good so, thing. Absolutely, no, always. We're always, we're always going to be supportive of anything we can do for the hobby, for the players that are in the hobby, such as Meekum Auction, because you guys are players in the hobby. Definitely. I mean, you're definitely defining pricing. You're defining what's going on in the market. And so it's not unusual to hear, or I'm surprised to hear a car go for X, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you got 12 of them ready to go for the next show because people, wow, that car is worth that? Right. Uh, you know? Or, of course, now sometimes you got to make sure they're the same car. That's, sure. a, that's another subject. Right. right. I, can, I, can, I would love to see some of the pictures of some of the cars, of what you were told and what you see. <laughs> we, we've had that here, too. I so, bet. But anyway, but I want to thank you guys for coming out. Like I said, when the concert comes around, please, let's not be strangers. Come back on and self promote it. Do what we can. I, I'm looking forward to seeing how the show works. And so you guys will come back again and again and again. We'll be back. Yeah, thanks Appreciate for having it. Us. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any episodes. For more information on the museum, please go to mustangownersmuseum.com and you'll find additional information on upcoming events.